So this morning, we are uh, picking up, we're going to be looking at the verses that Julian led us in this morning here in Philippians, picking up in chapter 1, verses 12 through uh, verse 30. And uh, let me just give us a really quick reminder of where we've been. So Paul, uh, initially we looked at the greeting of uh, the apostle to the saints. Remember saints, God's holy people. Uh, He greeted them in Philippi, and then he went on and he prayed very specifically for them, and we looked at that prayer in our um, time together last week. So as we come today to verse 12, we move into the main content of the letter. And so what Paul does, um, he first uh, first of all shares some of the details concerning his current situation of imprisonment in Rome. So Paul writes this letter from prison in Rome And he also includes there his confidence that he will ultimately be set free. And then finally, he challenges them to stand fast and to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And right in the middle of that, there in verse 21, what Paul does really is he gives us his his motto. And he uh, he expresses, in, in a sense, this is this is just who he is and what he's about. Now, a, a motto is a short expression of a guiding principle. And so what is Paul's guiding principle? Well, he tells us there in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Paul's guiding principle for his life. And I might say that that ought to be the guiding principle for every single Christian. And so I've entitled the message, The Christian's Motto. So um, we're going to focus in on verse 21 today. But before we do that, I want to take a little bit of a closer look at verses 12 through 30 and highlight a few things. And I want to also tell you that as we, you know, I'm on a bit of a deadline here because I wanted to... I want to take us through Philippians before I have to travel in um, in May. I have to go away for some school stuff, so I wanted to. My goal was to finish Philippians before I I go. But also, I since decided that since we're going to have a, a little season there, because I want to teach Colossians after this. I think maybe you remember I mentioned that, but we'll have a little bit of space uh, like during the summertime. And so what I decided is I'm going to go back to Philippians and we're going to highlight just some single verses. So all that to say, if you're waiting to hear some detail on a, on a particular verse and I don't touch on it, don't worry, we'll, we'll come back. And uh, I, I remember there, there have been times, maybe you've had this experience too, where it's like there's this one verse and man, you really want to know more about this verse and you want to hear some in-depth teaching on it. And then you go to church and you go, yeah, they're, they're going to talk about this verse. And then they just read it and never say a word about it. And so maybe that's going to happen today, but don't worry, we'll come back around to it. So really quickly, uh, verses 12 through 18 Um, Paul, again, he's talking about his circumstances and his imprisonment. And remember that Paul is, uh, he's very close to the Philippians. They have a really deep bond together. And so they hear that Paul is in prison in Rome. 
And of course, they would be so concerned for him. They would be so worried about his uh, state at this point. But Paul writes them and he says basically that even though the circumstances look bad, they've actually turned out for the advancement rather than the hindrance of the gospel. So who would have ever thought that, that going to prison was going to help the gospel go forward? And yet Paul says that's pretty much what was happening. How was that so? Well, the palace or the imperial guard uh, was influenced. Paul had a ministry in the household of, of the emperor. That's, that's the amazing thing. He led people who were uh, members of Caesar's household. He led them to Christ. And he sought to lead Caesar to Christ as well because he testified before him. And so that was a, a great thing that came out of it. Secondly, Paul says that uh, another benefit of his imprisonment was that others were emboldened to speak the word without fear. When they saw that Paul was, he was willing to, to go to jail for his faith, they basically just thought, well, what are we worried about? I mean, if Paul can, can do that, then, then why are we so afraid? And it emboldened them. And so the gospel spread even further. And Paul, out of all of it, he ended up saying that he rejoiced that Christ was preached. He saw that through his imprisonment, the gospel actually advanced. And so he rejoiced in that. Then we come to verses 19 through 26. And in these verses, although uh, Paul expresses, although there was the possibility that uh, his imprisonment would end in his execution, uh, he expresses here that he was convinced that his work among the churches was not yet finished and he would soon be delivered and be able to continue in uh, his ministry among them. So he expresses that there. And so he, he expresses this confidence that I know, uh, and, and of course there was that very real possibility that he could have been tried and condemned and executed. But he just had this conviction that he would be delivered. And so he tells them that that was his conviction and that he's confident that he's gonna carry on, uh, the Lord's gonna keep him alive so he can carry on his ministry among them. And then verses 27 through, th through 30, having explained his situation, now, um, and then he says, you know, whether I, I'm actually set free and I can come to you or I'm not there, he said, you know, what's really important is that your conduct be worthy of the gospel. And so he gives them a little word of exhortation. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. And then he says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul was all about the gospel. And Paul wanted to, he wanted to see the gospel go forth. And he said, you know, like, here, here I am, I'm in prison, but don't worry, the gospel's going forth. But then he says, now you guys, you know, conduct yourself in a way so the gospel can keep going forth. And, and that means that you're going to have to be of one spirit. It means you're going to have to be of one mind. It means you're going to have to strive together. You see, the gospel is going to advance as the people of God are working together to that end. If we're all divided up, if we're uh, at odds with each other, if we're in, in, in the kind of a thing where 
we're just trying to promote our own deal, that's gonna be a hindrance to the gospel. Paul says, no, no, strive together, have one mind, and, and do that for the sake of the gospel. But let's just touch for a quick moment on let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. What does that look like? What is, what is Paul talking about? Well, there are probably a lot of things that we could say about this, but to keep it in the context um, is important. And I, I love the way um, Matt Chandler, in his book on Philippians, he, I think he really unpacked this well. And let me read what he said. He said, it looks like, so let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Matt said, it looks like dying with Christ to oneself and being raised in Christ to walk in the newness of life with our brothers and sisters. It means living grace-filled lives that grant patience and mercy and gentleness for the spiritual journeys of others and a respect for the differences and idiosyncrasies we all bring to the Lord's table. When we forego our own way and stand together in the spirit of Christ, here's the key, we make the gospel look supremely valuable. Oh, that's so beautiful. And listen, we live in a time where there's so much division and God help us in the church not to be divided. Because if we can stand in unity in the church as God's people, we are sending a, a radical message that unity is possible. But it's only possible really through Christ and the Spirit. So I love what Matt said there. And I, and I really like that last part. We make the gospel look supremely valuable. People look at this and say, wow, the gospel. And, and that's what we're doing. We're showing how we, we value the gospel. We value it so much. We're going to live in such a way that people recognize uh, the value that we have for the gospel. And so... All that Paul said about his imprisonment, and as we've seen, he said it actually advanced the gospel. All that he said about even rejoicing that Christ was being preached, although some were preaching insincerely, hoping to add to his misery, he could, he could say that because for Paul, no sacrifice was too great when it came to serving Jesus and the gospel. So Paul is a man who... Um, there was no sacrifice too great. So if I've got to go to prison to get the gospel advanced, okay, that, I'll, I'll do that. Um, if I'm going to be slandered and maligned and uh, people are going to lie about me and pretend to be preachers of the gospel, um, if that's what's got to happen, you know, that's okay too. He, he was sacrificial. And he said, you know, all I really care about is the gospel being preached and whether it's out of sincerity, some people are preaching sincerely, some are actually preaching with false motives. They wanna make my life more miserable. They think they're making my life more miserable. And so what that's referring to is that when Paul, you know, Paul was a great leader. When Paul was put in jail, other men evidently came in and wanted to now be the new Paul. They wanted to have the respect and all, but their motives were selfish. They weren't sincere. And Paul knew that, and they knew that, and they were doing it intentionally to, to add to Paul's affliction, he says. But he said, you know, 
basically just said, you know, I didn't let it bother me. Why? Because, well, Christ is being preached, and that's what matters. Their motive, that's between them and God, but Christ is being preached. And so we see in that attitude, we just see this, this great sacrificial um, perspective that Paul lived by. Uh, again, to um, go back to Matt Chandler and to quote him once more, he said, it is astounding to consider the level at which Paul regards his life as a sacrifice. He sees his imprisonment as the sacrifice necessary to make the rest of the brothers bold, fearless sharers of the gospel. He sees his trials as the sacrifices necessary to win the loss to Christ. If it means death, he will be willing to go there to bring others home. For the cause of Christ, Paul appears ready and willing to trade in things many of us hold sacred every day. Namely, and then think about that. What, what, what did Paul, um, what was he willing to trade? Well, he was willing to trade his comfort. He was willing to trade his security. He was even willing to trade his life, if, if that's what it took. And in every generation of Christians, those who have, who have adopted this mentality, they have been the ones who have made the greatest impact. And I think we want to be those people as well. We want to be those people in our generation. And Paul could say these things and he could have the sacrificial attitude because the guiding principle of his life was to live as Christ and to die as gain. You see that Paul was living for Christ. And listen, every person who claims to be a follower of Christ or claims to be a Christian, there's so much confusion over what a Christian is today, but let's just remember that here's what we're told in Scripture. You know, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. And the first time it appears is in Acts. And there in Acts, it's, it's uh, I think it's chapter 11 um, or 12. It says there, it's 13, actually. <laughs> My brain's catching up with me here. Um, it says this. It says... Um, no, I think it's 12, but uh, <laughs> it's somewhere between 11 and 13. How's that? It says this. It says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. But listen, and the disciples were first called Christians. You see, the Bible understands that and communicates that a Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. So, you know, we, we live in a time where it's almost like, you know, there's a mentality of, well, you can be a Christian, but you don't have to follow Jesus. No, that's wrong. If you're a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus. And that's what Paul was. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. And he understood that life as a follower of Jesus, was about Jesus. That everything in life came down to that one important thing, and that was the Lord. And, and let me say this. I think if we could just get a glimpse of the glory of Christ and who he is, if we could just have our understanding uh, enlightened a little bit, you know, I think we would all realize that 
If we're living for anything but Christ, we're fools because Christ is the only one worth living for. Now, Paul says this. He says, and we're gonna look at here at his motto. He says to live is Christ. Now, we should all know this. Everyone lives for something or someone. And that someone can even be yourself. But every, every human being is, is driven by something. There's a, a, a master passion. Chuck, Pastor Chuck used to talk about what is the master passion of your life. Well, there, there is a master passion. There's a thing that drives you. There's a thing that, that you engage in this. You pursue this because you believe that happiness, peace, meaning, purpose, significance, contentment, fulfillment, you believe that it's through this thing, whatever it might be, you believe that this is what's going to bring that. And all people do this. All people have uh, a commitment to something that they believe is going to satisfy what they sense as uh, some sort of a void or emptiness. What people don't realize is that void and that emptiness is, is it's the desire for God. So you see, people don't realize that what, what I really need is God. So they pursue all of these other things. They pursue meaning, purpose, significance through these other things. So whether it's a passion to be indulged, you know, why do people indulge in, in these desires of the flesh? Well, because they somehow think that this is gonna be the thing that finally brings me satisfaction or fulfillment or meaning or purpose. So whether it's an indulgence of your passions or a possession to be acquired, a possession to be acquired, if I could only get this or if I could only get those things and then I, I would be, and you know, we've all experienced this. We know this by life, right? We, we know these kinds of things. I remember years, years ago, I got this crazy thought in my mind. Now, some of you know, I grew up surfing and um, this was back in the, gosh, I don't know, back in the 80s or something. Um, but a friend of mine, he was sponsored by a wetsuit company. And so he was, said, hey, I want I, you know, I get wetsuits for free. I want to get you a new wetsuit. And I thought, okay, great. So we actually designed the wetsuit, you know, and had, you know, the right colors and all of that stuff. And, and then, you know, you put in the order and it has to be made and you wait for it. And I remember, I don't know what, it's like, I went crazy for a, just a brief period of time, but I remember thinking, like, man, when I get that wetsuit, I am going to be the most fulfilled surfer that there ever was. I, somehow, I almost thought it was like a Superman wetsuit. Like I was going to put it on and I was going to outsurf everybody. And um, I don't know what I was thinking, but I just remember like having this deep longing for this wetsuit. And somehow there was like some identity thing with it. Like, man, when I get this, this is going to be it. And then I got it. And then that, you know, that was it, right? It, it did not do what I was imagining it was going to do. Now, people do stuff like that all the time. Oh, different objects, obviously. 
But, but we do that. That's, that's what we do as human beings. We're, we're, we're trying to get this, this satisfaction. We're trying to, to find that, that purpose or that meaning. And so whether it's through, like I said, the, um, whether it's through the indulgence of a passion or the acquiring of a possession or the attaining of a position. If I could just get into this place, if I could just be in this crowd, if I could just be with these people, if I could just get that um, promotion, if I could just have this title added onto my name, then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be whole. Then my identity would be complete. Guess what? No, it won't happen. It won't happen. You think it will, and you keep pursuing it, but you know, here's what happens. That, that's your life. And then you just get older and older and older, and then time's just slipping because everything you thought, but it's not doing it. And then, and then what? And you're running out of time. And you've tried all these things. But you see, here's the truth. None of those things will ever fulfill you. They can't. Because you were created by God and you were created for God until you come to know God and until Christ is your life, you've got nothing in the end. And, you know, the, the sad possibility is that you just go on and on and on until you're finally on your deathbed and you've never reached it and now you're at the end of the road and there is no more time. And what do you do then? Well, Paul who had his own experiences with these things, Paul came to a place of being able to say, for me to live is Christ. Christ is the purpose of life. Christ is the meaning of life. And listen, this is the beautiful thing. And many of you could just stand up and give a testimony about this reality. The beautiful thing is when you come to know Christ, this is... This is the answer. This is where all of that stuff that you're longing for, that, that's where you will find it. When I became a Christian, I didn't even know. I didn't know that. I didn't really know what I was looking for. I knew I was looking for something. But I, and I didn't know when I met Jesus that that was going to be the, the key to everything. But it was, and it still is. And so when I met Christ at the age of 22, it was like all of that pursuit and all of that drive and all that desire for those things, it just was like, oh, I'm here. This, this is what I was looking for. And that's never changed in all of these years now. And that's what happens because Christ is who we were made by and for. And until we're living for him, we can never know fulfillment. But these things, these are the gods, the idols of this age. But they're not just the idols of this age. They are the idols of every age. It's the same thing over and over again. So Paul's life was not about any of those things, although previously it had been. His life was about Christ his meaning, purpose, significance, joy, happiness, fulfillment was all wrapped up in Christ. Knowing him, loving him, pleasing him, and serving him. That's why we're alive, my friends. That's why we're here in this world, to know, 
to love, to please, and to serve Christ. That's why we exist. And so Paul discovered that. And so again, for him, I'm, I'm in prison, but it's okay. The gospel is being advanced. I'm being slandered. It doesn't matter. The gospel is being advanced. I might die, but you know what? It doesn't even matter because to die is gain. What do I have to lose? If I keep on living, that's great because I'll keep serving Christ. But if I die, that's even better. (laughs) That's what Paul said. If I die, that's even better. Why? Because, of course, he knew to depart and be with Christ is far better. Isn't it true that when people die, people we love, people we know, that we always have this, we're so pained by that. And yes, understandably, but we always have to remember that the pain is on our side of it, not on their side. We have to remember that for them, it's a better thing. It's, to depart and be with Christ is better. Is it better? Of course it's better. Why is it better? Well, it's gain, as Paul said, number one, because we will be face to face with the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We will be with the Lord. Can you imagine, you know, think about this. Think about who the Lord is. You know, tonight, or I I don't know, go outside, look at the stars, look at nature all around you, you know, enjoy the creation, and then remember this, Jesus Christ made this. Jesus made this. Look in the mirror. And remember, wow, Jesus made this too. (laughs) I maybe messed it up a little bit, but, you know, he made it. (laughs) But then just remember, we are going to behold the face of him, the one who made us and the one who loved us and gave himself for us. I remember reading the autobiography of Billy Graham, just as I am. And I remember at the end of that autobiography, I remember Billy said, and I think he was in his 80s when he wrote that. And remember, he lived to be just about 100. And, um, but he said in that autobiography, the one thing that he looked forward to was to be able to stand before Jesus and to thank the one who loved him and died for him and rose again. And I remember when I read that, I was just like, wow, that is so powerful. It moved me emotionally. But that's why Paul said to die is gain. But secondly, it is gain because we are forever free from the suffering and misery of sin and death. That, that's what happens. We're, for, we're forever free from that. And, of course, this is the thing that spoils life, right? The suffering, the misery, which is all due to sin. But there is no suffering. There is no misery. It's all um, a faint memory. And ultimately to be wiped off, out of uh, the memory bank. But then, also, it's gained because we are forever reunited with our loved ones that have gone before us. And we're also brought together as one eternal family with all the saints of all the ages. Isn't that amazing? All the saints of all the ages will be brought together. You know, some of you probably have the same kind of experience, but you know, having been reading and studying and teaching the Bible now for many years, um, I feel like the people in the Bible are actually my friends. 
You know, there, there are people I know. Uh, Paul is like a good friend. You know, I know him so well. I know his thoughts. I know wh- where he's been and what he's done. And, and then I think, well, you know, and Paul is alive. He's just alive in a different dimension. And so is Moses. And so is Miriam, the sister of Moses. And so is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, you know, you think of all of these people. And then so are your friends, people that you have known and loved and you miss. But one day, it's all going to be brought back together in a glorious reunion that'll never, ever end. So that's gain. To, to, live, to, to die is gain. And then finally... Yes, we should get excited about this stuff. And then finally, it's gain because we've entered into the very thing for which God created us in the first place. To live in and enjoy fully and forever the love and glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, God help us to get this through our minds that this is why we are here. You see... Back in eternity past, God decided, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they were going to create human beings to live in an eternal love relationship with them, to share in the love that they shared for all eternity as the triune God. God decided that we're going we're gonna to create human beings. God, of course, knows everything. So he knows what's going to happen. He knows that there's going to be a a rebellion against him. And he knows that in order to reconcile these human beings that he's going to create, he knows that he's going to have to come and do that. And so God, the son is the one who is going to come and become a human being to redeem human beings. And then All of this needs a stage. All of this needs a platform. So we're going to create a universe, and we're going to create galaxies, and we're going to create a solar system, and we're going to create a planet, and that planet is going to be the home for these people that we will make and redeem so we can have a forever relationship with them. That's what happened. And we... To die is gain because we enter into that. See, that's what we were made for. What we're doing here right now is not what we were ultimately made for. We are doing, if we're living for Christ, we're doing what we were made for, but not ultimately. There's something ahead of us. And and it's so, isn't it true that we always, we just get bogged down here all the time. We just forget that we are uh, on a journey. Paul never forgot that. Paul knew that, and he kept that at the forefront of his mind. And so he could say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so here's the question that I want to ask all of us today. The question is, what is your motto? Truly, what is your motto? What would you say? How would you fill in the blank? To live is what? What, what would you have to put in there? And, and I say truly and sincerely uh, because even though I think many of us, if not most of us in this room, are Christians, but the question is still this. What's, what do we put in the blank? For me to live 
is it really Christ? Am a Christian, as a Christian, am I doing what, I, what I'm really supposed to do as a, a follower of Jesus? Am I living for him? Or would I have to put something else there? Would I have to say, well, you know, if the truth be told, no, I'm, I'm not really living for Christ. Even though I believe in Christ, even though I, I know that, that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, I know that, but no, I'm, I'm really not living for him. I'm really living for this. And unfortunately, I think that's true across a, a large swath of, of Christian people today. I think there's a lot of people that would have to say, uh, honestly, that I'm not living for Christ. But that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live for Christ. And remember, it's not like we're supposed to do it because God will beat you over the head if you don't do it. It's like we're supposed to do it because this is what we were made for. And all of these other things that we end up living for are things that will never get us what we think we're looking for. Only living for Christ will do that. So ask yourself the question, to live is what? Is it Christ or something else? And then ask yourself this question, to die is what? What is it to die? Can you say today, yes, to die is gain? Or would you perhaps say, well, to die would be a great loss. I would lose all of these things. I would lose my place in the pecking order. I would lose that opportunity that's going to come my way. If you see death as a loss, then you're looking at it the wrong way. Or maybe you see death, it's fear. It's not to depart and be with Christ is far better. It's, oh no, to depart and be with Christ, that would be very fearful. Why is it fearful? Well, probably because I'm not really living for Christ. You see, Paul could say to die is gain because he could also say to live is Christ. That's how you are able to say to die is gain, to, to say to live is Christ. And, and listen, this is not something that only an elite group of Christians can do. This is not something that you have to be some special category of Christian this isn't something you have to be a pastor or a missionary. This is something that all of us are called to, to live for Christ, to live for Christ every day, to live for Christ in your personal life, to live for Christ in your family life, to live for Christ in your professional life, wherever you are to live for Christ. That's what life is about. And, and God takes your life that you give to him, and he does wonderful things. You see, the, the thing is, sometimes we think, foolishly, we think, well, you know, if I live for Christ, I'm going to miss out on this. You know, if I'm living for Christ, I'm not going to get to do that. Forget that stuff. That, that's a delusion. That's a deception. If you live for Christ, it's going to be the best life you could ever live. That's the reality. And when your life is over, it's going to be even better. <laughs> so to live is Christ. And to, in just a moment, I'm going, to, I'm going to give an invitation this morning. And in doing that, I'm going, to, I'm going to appeal to two groups of people here. I'm going to appeal, first of all, to those of you that have never made a decision to live for Christ. I'm going to ask you to do that. And I'm going to 
do that in just a second. But I'm also going to make an appeal to those who have made that decision in the past, but you know today you're not living for Christ. Today's the day to start living for him again. I was reading a book this week, and uh, the author was, uh, um, he's a very well-known um, philosophy professor, and he was, he was talking to, uh, about how he would uh, do these seminars with these professional people, um, academic people, and you know people who were just up in the business world and the corporate world and all of this stuff. And he would he would do these seminars with them. And one of the things he would ask them, he would ask them like, you know, how does Jesus Christ factor into your work world? Like, you know, how how does Jesus help you? How does Jesus, um, you know, enable you in what you're doing? And he said, the, the irony was this. He said that most of them never thought to connect Jesus with anything but their like religious world. And so he would challenge them. He'd say, well, wait a second. Um, Jesus is, according to scripture, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you need wisdom? Do you need knowledge in your profession? Yes, yes, we need that, they'd say. Uh, but so why don't you ever bring Jesus into that? Oh, well, you know, they just didn't think that way. They just thought Jesus is in the religious category over here. But, you know, this is like serious stuff. This is business and this is, you know, this is work. And we, we, you know, we got to do this ourselves, right? No, wrong. We're called to bring Jesus into every, he's the Lord of everything. He was saying how he would talk to people and he would just ask them this question. Do you think Jesus is smart? They're like, Jesus is smart. I don't know. Is Jesus smart? Well, if in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I think he's pretty smart. Yes. I mean, if he could create your cells and you and, you know, everything else, ah, that's pretty smart stuff right there. (laughs) But I'm going to appeal to you who have said, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but you can't say right now to live as Christ. So in closing... The, the theme of our study through Philippians is the fellowship of the gospel. And, and the word fellowship is the picture of being part of this thing. You're, you're coming into this thing that God is doing. And the fellowship of the gospel is what we enter into when we receive Christ. And there's all kinds of ramifications to that. Because the gospel is the declaration that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be reconciled to God and born into a new life, that we are going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that we're going to have a place now in God's family and become a member of the body of Christ and receive gifts of the Holy Spirit through which we will serve God. And then when everything is finished here on earth, that we have a place in the eternal kingdom of God's son. That's the fellowship that God's inviting us into. And that happens by coming to Christ and giving our lives to him. And, and some of you today, maybe a few of you, maybe you've never done that. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And so our worship team's going to come back up and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then I'm going to invite you to come And to stand up here in the front, and we're going to say a prayer with you, a prayer to receive Christ and to change your destiny so you can also know 
the, the security and the peace of knowing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so let's pray. Father, we pray today. Thank you, Lord, for the great news, the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that it's proven over and over and over for these thousands of years now to be true and right. And Lord, no one that's ever truly lived it has ever regretted it. And thank you, Lord, that we can find all of our fulfillment in Christ because to live is Christ. And Lord, thank you that after life is done here on earth, that there's something better that awaits us in heaven. And thank you, Lord, that you've invited every single human being into that. And Lord, it's through receiving your son that we enter in. And so I pray that you would move on hearts this morning. I pray that you would draw men and women to yourself. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And I also pray, Lord, for those who would identify as believers, but yet would not be able to honestly say that to live as Christ. Help them, Lord, to turn that corner today and to re-engage with you in such a way that they would be able to honestly say that. So do that work in Jesus' name. Amen.